Thank you for joining us in a dialogue for the soul. Journey Church is a community in movement, a fellowship in discovery. Our desire is to dwell in soul environments while telling the love story of Jesus. To find out more about our faith community, please visit journeyfranklin.com. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Darren Tyler and um, Alila, a Bible study. We actually meet here on Monday nights. And what you saw were images from the last year of our little nickel and dime operation <laughs> at work around the world. Um, we really are about as simple as it gets. We study the Bible chapter by chapter. But when you do that and you get into the word, you, you find yourself doing something really interesting. You actually begin to respond to it. You begin to fall more in love with the Lord. And it's, it's not a burden. It's, it's not a, a bummer. It's amazing what we've seen happen uh, in our own community and around the world. Uh, I'm actually amazed that there are as many folks as there are this morning here because uh, obviously it's a holiday week. But um, for those of you that don't know, we've got 29 people from our body, including our pastor, uh, administrative pastor, worship. I guess we have fancy names for them. You have to go to the website to figure out what the euphemism. But uh, in fact, we figured out this morning that by default, Cortland uh, uh, is in charge. So <laughs> he said he'd give me five minutes. And if I wasn't doing the good job, he'd shut the whole thing down and send us all home. So um, 29 folks that will be landing in Nazareth by the time this service is over. Uh, Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Talk about uh, what faith can do. In a moment on a trip that our pastor and a couple of people from our fellowship made back in January that God opened this door to go to the very town that the Bible says that Jesus could do, could do no good work in. Uh, Jesus' hometown. And we're going to serve them. 29 of us. There's another 50 of us this morning that are fanning out across the community in our own town that are serving and loving our brothers and sisters right here in our own hometown. Uh, so while we're getting to enjoy some church this morning, we've got some folks being church and we're all playing our part in the body of Christ. So uh, if you would open your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 28, uh, at Conduit, we are, like I said, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It doesn't sound like much fun. Um, but the beautiful thing is that good theology, that's just looking for Jesus. And the minute you figure that out, it's like the Bible becomes this mind-blowing thing. Because he's everywhere. The, the Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the word. This is his written communication to us. And in Exodus 28, verse 29, it's on page 77. And that joke never gets old, does it? Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also, put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece, so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. And thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Father, we want to encounter you this morning. This supernatural book requires a supernatural approach and gives us a supernatural response. 
And so this morning, we pray for that, that we might find you in, in your words this morning. It was 400 years that had passed since Israel had gone into Egypt. Now, Israel at that time was just 75 people. It was just like a really big family reunion, okay? All the cousins, grandkids, all of them. They were in a place where they were dying. They were going to die because of famine in the land. And so God rescued them and took them into Egypt. And so now 400 years later, these 75 people have now, uh, like a bunch of rabbits, turned into 3 million. A lot of people now. The people that were in this moment, this exodus, this rescue, if you will, had known nothing but oppression, brutality, murder, serve. I mean, they, they had no rights. They were dirt poor, owned nothing. And God said in Exodus chapter 3, he says, I've heard the cries of my people. And he rescued them. In an unprecedented before and to this date, operation, a rescue operation. He takes three million people and not only takes them out of this oppression, but it says, and just as he said he would do, he's going to send them out with all of the goods and golds and riches of Egypt. So now one day they're poor, the next day they're loaded, okay, rolling deep. Kind of like winning the lottery for that day. They were loaded down with possessions. So now you've got three million people who are officially free, 400 years longer than our nation has been in existence. All they've known is slavery and oppression, and now they're free. Oh, and they're rich. And so God takes them, they're kind of like all dressed up and nowhere to go, but God takes them, the first thing he does is he takes them to the foot of this mountain in uh, Egypt called Sinai that he was going to speak to them from. And it isn't that God is like some giant cosmic buzzkill, right? He's not saying, because they're all, I mean, freaking out excited, woo God says, look, we, we got to stop for a minute because there's three million of you who don't even know how to interact with each other. And we need to put some parameters in place for how you guys can interact with each other, how you can interact with me, how I can interact to you. And if you wonder what it would be like if God hadn't have done this, man, I invite you to go with us to Haiti. There's a trip that Cortland's going to be talking about from Journey that's going to Haiti in January. This was a nation that was... Uh, that is made that was birthed out of slaves. A few hundred years ago, somebody in the slave population did a head count and thought, you know what? We can take these guys. There's way more of us. And what happened was they overthrew and earned their freedom and sent these cruel owners home. And in what happened in Haiti, I think, is an example of what could have happened in Israel. Because these are these good people but they'd never been free before. They didn't know how to interact with each other. They didn't have any form of government, any sort of policies, and, and the nation has descended into chaos. Great news is we have hope, and its name is Jesus, and he is alive and well in Haiti today. But at this moment in Israel, God says, look, okay, three million of you, everybody sit still. You, you were rich before, or you were poor before, you were rich now. So you were out of this nation that had a lot of gods. Let's go to, let's set some parameters in place. Number one, no other gods before me. Okay, that's a good one. We'll start there. 
Hey, and you guys, maybe some of you guys got more from your masters than the other, than maybe the others did. And so you got a lot and he didn't get as much. Don't covet. And hey, I know that all you've known is brutality. So if somebody does something that irritates you, you know, you know that you you can kill them because that's what they did in Egypt, but don't murder. And these 10 rules begin to unfold of like, this is how you guys can interact together. And if you do this, these things well, then your nation will exist and it will thrive. And then not only can you interact with each other, but you can interact with me. And, and he commands them to build the tabernacle, which is King James speak for a tent. And it was going to be God's mobile ability to communicate with the people to communicate with God. And what I love about it, if you look in the chapters, the 20s of the, the, the tabernacle, 26, 27, and look at the, the, the shopping list of everything that they would need to provide to build the tabernacle. It was exactly what Egypt had sent them out with. The gold, the silver, the fabrics, the linen. It was all Egypt. Whew. God had prepared them and sent them out with that shopping list. And it's such a great thing for us today because we get to see that if God tells us to do something, to give of something that we have, it's something that God already gave us enough of. And he's just asking us to, to use what he's given us to, for the kingdom. And every nook and cranny of this tabernacle, every hook, every curtain, every painting, altar, laver, all of it is a picture of Christ. He's just pointing towards the Messiah that was to come. But in this was their ability to interact with the Lord. Forgiveness of sins, worship, service. It all took place in that environment in that context so they can interact with each other now they can interact with the lord and god says in chapter 28 oh and i'm going to interact with you and i'm going to do it through the high priest the new testament in hebrews says that jesus is our high priest again it's a picture that if we had all day and and i know we don't um you could see the pictures of, of jesus even in this high priest that represents god to us But we get to this sort of mysterious verse about this Urim and this Thummim. And I think I speak collectively for most of us in the room when I say the what? The Urim and the Thummim. Now now picture this. This is how God's going to communicate to the people. He says, fashion this breast piece, this breastplate, this gold breastplate. Kind of think about it like a Superman emblem, but gold. And And on this, you're going to put these 12 stones that would represent the 12 tribes of Israel on this breastplate. And then in the middle of that is going to be these two gems, these two stones, referred to as the Urim and the Thummim. And if you had a question, you could come to the Urim and the Thummim, to the high priest, and ask the question. And something that scholars don't even really entirely understand, and there's some debate, would happen that would give the answer. There are some that believe that it was that they would illuminate. Like the word Urim, if you're a note taker, if you want to impress your friends at your next Bible trivia game. Urim means light. Thummim means perfection. So something would happen in the light and the perfection on this breastplate that would probably illuminate an answer, whether it would spell it out or whether it was like a game show with ding, 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 or you know, whatever would happen, something would, would glow and there would be a communication back from the Lord. So imagine it, if you will. It's kind of a little bit like, remember Simple Simon, the game with the little colors? You know, and it would, it would, so there would be like a glowing color. But there was definitely a little bit of a magic eight ball component to it because you're asking a question and what is the answer? And, and then there was hanging around his chest, so it's kind of a little bit like Flava Flav. 
right? So you got the Flava Flav Simple Simon Magic 8 Ball for answers from God. And that was how they communicated. And if you're like me, you might think, man, I'd like to get one of those for the house. What a great conversation piece. And what a great way. You know, if you have a situation that you need light shed on in your life, like, I need some light shed on this moment here. You could just go and ask the Urim and the Thummim. That's what Israel would do. They would go to him and ask the questions. Unfortunately, it isn't, like often it is in life, it isn't nearly as easy as it sounds. Because the first problem you would have, I mean, think, let's just go back in time. If God could just speak to me like that, I mean, there might be some of you in here this morning that, man, I just need some light in this situation. I've got this path that I'm, uh, I'm supposed to go down. I don't know if this job is what I'm supposed to be doing, if this relationship is what I'm supposed to, uh, the one I'm supposed to embark on, if I'm supposed to marry this person. You know, I, I got an email this morning from someone who's got a sick relative that's kind of living with them, and he's, I don't see any light at the end of this. What, what can I do? And it sounds easy. Let's just go to the Urim and Thummim and figure it out. The, the first problem you're going to have, though, is that if you don't live like in Jerusalem, you're kind of hosed because that's where the Urim and the Thummim was going to be located. One guy, the high priest in Jerusalem. So if you lived even like 60 to 80 miles away, like in Galilee or some of these towns like Nazareth, that isn't right there. You're talking about a journey that was days in the making, a journey that you would have only made once a year. And proximity, that's the least of your worries because priority is the big problem. This was a communication device that because of its rarity, because only one person had it, was only used for big ticket decisions. Land acquisitions, national security, things like that. So you were going to be tempted to just not do it at all, to not ask any questions, to not even try to get to the high priest because your problem wasn't big enough. And so if you had a problem, you were kind of, you're kind of swinging in the dark. And maybe some of you feel like that this morning. Like it's God's will pinata. You're blindfolded and just swinging and hoping that you hit it and that the candy falls. Spun up around and dizzy, can't. I've got great news for you this morning. 1,500 years later, Jesus came onto the scene and he said in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. The Urim means what? Light. I'm the light of the world. And he would say, uh, Paul would say that he was sinless. He didn't know sin. This was, he who knew no sin became sin on the cross for us. He was perfect in every way. He was our perfect illumination in our world. And what if about proximity? I don't have to travel to find Jesus. Matthew 28 tells me that Jesus said to you and to me and to his disciples, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He is with us always. He's right here. If you are here this morning, I've got great news. Jesus right now in this place, in this room is available to you. And if you might think that, well, my problem's not big enough. Jesus said in Matthew 6 to consider the lilies of the field, to consider the sparrows. But if he cares about them, he cares about you. Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 5 to cast all of our cares on the Lord for he cares for us. Paul tells us in Corinthians to to be anxious about nothing, but in everything, prayers and supplications and making our requests known to God. Jesus is our Urim and our Thummim. The guy that 
can answer the questions without any sort of magic eight ball, simple Simon, flavor flavor thing. And you might be thinking, okay, that's great, Darren. I kind of get the ethereal thing, the esoteric spiritual deal. But I kind of got problems right now that I need illumination on. Like I'm in the dark. Rent is due now. My marriage is in the garbage now. What do I do? How do I hear from Jesus? How does this practically work for me in my life? And if you've got your journals with you, if you take them out, I want to encourage you to, to write. And I want to encourage you, look, if God starts speaking to you there, just check out. I'll let you know when it's over. You can write whatever God is speaking to you now, maybe. And I want you to know, I'm not going to give you 10 easy steps this morning. <laughs> Sometimes you think God works in 10 easy steps because that's what every end cap on every Christian bookstore in America seems to suggest. 10 easy steps to conquering your giants. Five easy steps to success. This morning in the prayer room, we're talking about 36 steps to being awesome. I don't remember who said that, but it was... You just think that's how God works. I would suggest to you, if that's how he worked, he might have written the Bible a little differently. He writes more in like a song. I'm going to give you some parts. I'm going to give you some parameters. But anybody that works in music knows that you can't just give you the formula for a song and make a hit song. You've got to feel it. You gotta, it's this thing that takes on a life of its own. That's God in your life. That's God's communication to you. One of the ways, one of, I believe, the primary ways, one of the great ways that God speaks to us is found in Hebrews 8. He speaks to us through the impressions of our heart. Hebrews chapter 8, if you're not a Bible underliner person, grab your neighbor's Bible and underline it in theirs. They won't mind. Um, But if you're not a Bible underliner, I get it. But if you are, this ought to be underlined, starred, asterisked. In your Bible, because this is God's promise to you and to me. In verse 10, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'm going to put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness. And I'll remember their sins no more. He's writing, the author of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, is writing, saying, this is what is in Jeremiah 31. This was a promise that God made, saying that the new covenant, you wonder where we got the word new covenant, new testament? This is it. The new covenant isn't just a book, it's a deal. It's an agreement with God to you. And the primary thing he's saying is, look, there's the old one, the Urim and the Thummim, the high priest, they were great, but I've got a better way. I've got a new way. I've got something, a new deal that's even better, that's more beautiful. It's almost like, for you young people, there was an old covenant. It was a lot like MySpace. I was kind of bogged down, not a very good user interface, slow, not great, but it worked. You could interact with each other and, you know. And God was saying, look, I've got a new one. I've got something better, something even more beautiful. It's called Facebook. <laughs> it's got a way better user interface, way more. It's, it's exactly what you were looking for. And in this new covenant, this Facebook, if you will, God says to you and to me that he's going to write his will 
the King James says, his will on my heart and on my mind. He's going to speak to you in your heart and on your mind. Psalm 37, 4, David says something that is taken out of context in many ways, but he says that delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. On first glance, it's easy to read that and think, oh man, I'm just going to write my Christmas list to Jesus. Like it's Santa Claus or something. And it's not that at all. When I was in Africa a year ago, I landed, you know, it's like every, every international trip is like an endurance challenge. How long can you sit in one place and do nothing? The answer so far for me is 33 hours. But this wasn't that one. This was a little bit shorter. It was like 28. And I landed and I was exhausted. But you know what? I wanted to be there. I was excited to be there. And it's weird because I had just gone through some personal family. There was some tragedy in my family. I'd been away from home for three weeks. I've got four amazing kids. I've got an amazing wife. I don't like being away from home. I get home and just a few days later, I'm on a plane for Africa where I'm going to be for another eight, ten days. But I wanted to be there. And of all the planning and all the preparation and all the getting ready and the decisions... I didn't remember this. When I landed in Africa, and I remembered it the minute I was on the ground and looking around me, I remember 22 years before that, when I was 16 years old, I was in a hotel room in Guatemala. I was on a little missions trip with this guy named Ron Luce who started a ministry called Teen Mania. There was 35 of us. And it's amazing nobody got killed. Like, we were literally, like, it's amazing. But I remember being in that hotel room in Guatemala saying, God, please don't ever send me to Africa. Like, I didn't even want to enjoy that trip too much because I was afraid he's going to call me and do something full-time that I didn't want to do. But I remembered the very words, don't send me to Africa, please. I'll do anything. It's like that meatloaf song, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I won't go to Africa. And I had a few other things on my list, but that was that moment. But what I forgot was that that was the prayer, that was my desire. But that night I wanted to be there. God didn't give me the desires of heart in in giving me what I wanted. He gave me the desires of my heart in that he downloaded the desire into me that I wanted to go. You know why I'm here at Journey Church this morning? Why why I'm a a partner here? Why we've been here for two and a half years? Because I want to be. I married Shannon Tyler because I really wanted to. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll download the desires that you are to want in your heart. Augustine, I think, knocked it out of the park when he said, you know what, love God and do what you want. And and, and initially you think, that's just really oversimplifying it, Darren. And, And maybe it might feel that, but when you strip it down to its core, that's it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me give you a little cautionary here. If you're not delighting in the Lord, if you're not spending time in his word and in worship and with your brothers and sisters in Christ and delighting in the Lord, don't follow that advice because your desires are going to get you in nothing but trouble when that happens. But when you're desiring, when you're delighting in the Lord, he's going to give you the big ticket questions and the little ones. I'm often fascinated by my own deal because I'm always really, really concerned about the big ones. Like, what what do you want me to do with this career, this relationship? And I often don't spend any daily will searching for God's will. When I wake up in the morning, am I not asking, well, what do you want me to do today, God? I say I'm concerned about what your will is for my life, but I'm showing you that I'm not because I'm just doing what, you know, 
I'm not even thinking about it during the day. Should I communicate with this person? Do you want me to, uh, do you want me to uh, encounter this person at the coffee house? Do you want me to talk to them? How do you want me to serve my family today? Your will for my life today. God is not only concerned with the big stuff, he's concerned with the little stuff. And he's going to speak to you in a great way through the impressions in your heart. That idea that you get in your head that your, your heart can't let go of, that your burning passion, I got to do this. Paul says, I was compelled to do this. And that's God. It's one of the ways that he speaks to us. And this isn't a list, by the way. I'm giving you, I'm giving you notes for a song here. Because another way that he speaks to us is not only through the impressions in our heart, it's through our interaction with each other, with our congregation, if you will. The Urim and the Thummim, the Flava Flav, there were 12 stones on it that represented the, body, or the, the, uh, the Israelites, the tribes of Israel, 12 of them. Representing the family. These guys were family. They were a nation together. Peter says, 1 Peter 2 says that you and I are living stones. We're gems. That picture of stones, of gems. That guy sitting next to you that's participating in No Shave November. That's a gem. I heard somebody say that their wife told them that if they were going to participate in No Shave November that she was going to as well. (laughs) That'd be a lesson for you kids. He's a gem. She's a gem. She's the body of Christ. She's family. Jesus says, wherever there are two or three gathered, there I am in the midst of them. God is into family. He's into relationship. He's into us as the family of him, his brothers and sisters. It's the family of God. It, he even said at one point, if you, two or three of you are gathered and you pray, two or more, in agreement. The prayer of agreement is powerful. I think it's powerful. Because look, I've got four kids. If I can get them to agree on anything, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, just going to dinner. I want to go to Cece's. I want to go to a Charlie's. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to go to McDonald's. But if I got four of them all at once saying, hey, daddy, we're all in agreement on this. I'll tell you what, that'll melt daddy's heart. And when you're in your village, if you're a visitor here this morning, we have villages is what we call our small groups. When you're in that environment and you're living out life with each other in those villages, God will speak to you in those contexts. Out of the context of family, the 12 stones where the Urim and the Thummim were, God spoke to the people of Israel. Acts 13 talks about The apostle Paul and Barnabas, they were at Antioch. It says the church at Antioch and they were ministering to the Lord. What a great picture, by the way, that we can minister to the Lord. And it says during that moment when these guys are all together, they're ministering to the Lord, that that's where God says, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas, for ministry. God spoke in that environment. He speaks in our environment. He speaks to us just through each other. Because you know what? Sometimes my heart may be a little fuzzy. You know, maybe I'm thinking, you know what? I really have a desire to go be the backup dancer on the new Britney tour. <laughs> and maybe I'm really excited about that. And maybe I need some brothers and sisters in Christ to say, ooh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> to confirm that that's not what I need to do. Or, or maybe Britney's looking for, you know, middle-aged, full-figured men to go be the dancer. And they might say, yeah, you should do that. That's great. I, you're spot on. But in those environments, the body of Christ working together, we can confirm things in each other. We can challenge each other. God speaks to us in the midst of each other. Now, if you are following along, we're talking about the impressions of our heart, the brandings in our heart, the interaction with each other. These are notes, again, in a song. It's a harmony thing happening here. 
One voice is great. Two voices together in perfect harmony, amazing. The third thing that God uses, way that God uses to speak to us, and again, when these are all operating together, it's an amazing song. Psalm 109, verse 105 says that thy word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. If I'm swinging in the dark, if you're wondering what is it that God would have you to do in these situations that you're in, in this relationship, should I do it? Man, I might ask you, what's he telling you when you're reading the word? And if you are squeamish and saying, hmm, that's a good point. I'm not reading the word. Maybe start with that. It's so tempting to just skate to the big ticket stuff and not spend our daily time in the word. I said it earlier, this is not just a piece of literature. This is a supernatural book written by a supernatural being. His voice, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When I approach this with a supernatural expectation that God wants to speak to me through this, his word, his communication, amazing what happens. When I don't just treat it like a piece of literature, when I, when I come to Exodus 28 and 30 and say, what the world is an urim and a thummim? And I meditate and I pray and I ask God to reveal to me what that means for me. Thy word, thy word, thy word is a lamp for my feet. And when these things are working in concert together, there's clarity that can come. And maybe you're saying, Darren, yeah, that's great, but I'm kind of doing that. I really... I am delighting myself in the Lord. I'm involved in my village and, and God is there with these people and, and I'm worshiping and, and I'm just not getting the clarity that I want. Is there anything else? Am I missing anything? A couple of stipulations. James 1 verse 5 says that if any of you lack wisdom, that you should ask God of it. But ask in faith. Don't be double-minded. Don't waver. This is the Darren Tyler paraphrase. I didn't realize until Eugene Peterson that you could do that. But anyway, um, ask, but don't waver. Don't let anybody that's wavering expect that God would tell them anything. God lovingly, mercifully says to you and me that if you're not coming in faith, I'm not going to reveal that will to you. And you don't have to have a bunch of faith. Don't get me wrong. Jesus says just faith of the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. But you've got to go in in faith with an expectation. So don't just go in there blasting, I want to know your will. And, and, and you know, a lot of times we, <laughs> we're like begging, God, please, please tell me. Like his will is something that's supposed to be hard to find. Please, what do I do? And again, it's usually for the big stuff, right? It's not for the daily stuff. Ask in faith with expectation. And then one more. Go with me to Proverbs, if you would. Chapter 13. I want to show you something that's played out in my own life this year. And maybe my story could be a catalyst for you. Proverbs 13, verse 6. And in a minute, we're going to go back to Psalm 37. So if you want to get ahead. Righteousness guards the man of integrity. Now, gang, if you've been sleeping, that's fine. Just wake up for just a minute and then you can go back. But... Righteousness guards the man of integrity. In the King James, it says that it keeps the man of integrity, of uprightness, in the way. It keeps you on the right path. Integrity. And that word is important there because it's the word tuma in the Hebrew, 
which is the same root word like humility and humiliation are two sides of the same word. Tuma is the same word as to me, which is the word for thumum, integrity and perfection. The man that's walking in integrity, God keeps him in his way. And what do I mean by integrity? Psalm 37 tells me, tells you. We just got done with the delight. And by the way, love that one. Delight yourself with the Lord. He's gonna, I mean, I grew up on that one. You put on little post-it notes and three-by-five cards, tape them to the mirror. Give me the desires of my heart. But 37 verse 5, look what he says next. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will bring it to pass, the King James says. And it goes on to say what he's going to do for David. But that truth for you and I says to me this. That word commit in the Hebrew is a word called galal or galal, depending on what emphasis on the syllable you use. But it means roll away. In Genesis When Jacob is going to the well and he sees Rachel and he wants to roll the stone away to impress him, impress her with his strength, that's the same word. Roll away. Roll away your will to the Lord. My will has a tendency of covering God's will. I've got my will in front of his. And he says to David, roll away your will. Then my will, and then it will come to pass. In Romans 12... I get the picture perfectly. And what I mean by this is that my will was not to go to Africa. Maybe you don't do this, but I do. Those things that you don't necessarily write them out, but you have them in your back of your mind of what you will and will not do for the Lord. I have defined what it is that I'm comfortable doing for God. I've defined what it is I want to do for God. Generally speaking, it's being famous, rich, very successful. Those are all things that I have defined for the Lord in my life. I know you have some great ideas, God, but you really should consider what I have first and then we'll talk about it. If you are in a position where you're delighting yourself in the Lord, where you're in his word, you're in the congregation and you still don't have clarity, might I suggest to you this morning that we have to ask God with integrity. Meaning this, I'm not asking God, hey, tell me what it is you want because I'm kind of curious. And then once I figure that out, I'll make some decisions based upon that. I have some ideas of what I want to do. I want to see what you've got to say, God, and then we'll see. Romans 12 tells me this, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, the King James word uses is reasonable act of worship. A living sacrifice is one that survives. We only have one example of that that I know of in scripture, and that is Abraham and Isaac when they marched up that hill. In Sunday school, it was great because he was like a little guy. And they just strap him down. And of course you're thinking at one point, wait a minute, really? What scholars tell us, though, is that he wasn't a little guy, that he was older. Some scholars, a lot of scholars, believe that he was 33 years old. I don't know if that rings any bells for you. 33 years old. His father was a, was a frail, older man. No way he could have strapped that kid down on purpose. Isaac got on there willingly. 
He offered himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable before the Lord. When I come to God and I say, I want to know what you want from me, I think I've got it wrong. Maybe my prayer should be, God, whatever it is you want from me, I'll do it. I'm in. And trusting in faith, knowing that whatever God, he knows me, he knows you, he knows what you've been wired to do, what you've been created to do. And it's so funny because we think, oh, I don't want to do that because what if he sends me to Africa? Let me tell you this. The beautiful thing is when he does whatever wills he downloads into you, you're going to want to do it anyway. He gives you the power to want it. So it isn't like a bummer. You're like, you're, you want to be there. It's a sacrifice. We have to jump into God's will with that prayer of God. What is it you want from me? I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice. And look what it says. Verse two, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And look, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. If you're a little fuzzy this morning on what it is that God wants from you, what it is that God is asking of you, maybe we should take away the parameters, the disclaimers, the writer, if you will. I work in the music business, and when we book a band, they always get the contract, which is we have this, we, we kind of construct a deal, and then we send the contract out, and it's like, okay, I know we had a deal, but there's 20 more pages of things that you got to do. It's all the extras that I put on God. It's the writer that I put on to my prayer to the Lord. Hey, God, I'll do whatever you want, but I also am going to need, you know, the, the standard green M&Ms. Uh, I'm, I'm going to need some comfort. I'm going to need some monster energy drinks. I'm going to need these things, and then I'll do your will. I'm going to need comfort. I'm going to need my family <coughs> home. I don't want to move anywhere. I want to be successful. I want to be comfortable. Oh, and then I'll serve you as well. But these are these, this is my writer to you. I need you to sign off on this before. And God says, you know what? No, thank you. In his mercy and in his grace, he's saying, I'll let you know as soon as you're ready to do it my way. Because at the end of the day, I appreciate my enthusiasm, but I'm just not as smart as God. He's got it better anyway. So if I'll just sign off on his deal, his ideas, it says his ways are above my ways. Paul says that above what I could think, ask, or imagine, I couldn't even write a writer good enough for what God can do in my life. Throw it out. Ditch the writer and serve the Lord. This has played out quite literally in my life in the past few years. Because I had uh, defined what I was going to do for the Lord. And it looked pretty good, I think I'll tell you since it's not going to happen. <laughs> I thought that I would travel and speak. I mean, I'm in the music industry. I've been in for 15 years. You're like, yeah, I know. I can tell by the t-shirt. Um, but I've been in the music business. And I just thought, hey, you know what? Someday when I get older, of course, at 38, I'm like, well, that's not as old as it used to seem. Um, and then I'll go and travel and I'll speak. And I'll be thoughtful and maybe I'll smoke a pipe sometimes and, you know, C.S. Lewis and Donald Miller combined into one thoughtful, smart, intelligent guy. Have all the, 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 the fun of, you know, writing and speaking and, and none of the, the goofiness that pastors put up with. The day-to-day -day grind. I didn't want any of that. I had no desire to be a part of that. 
Like, I want to go do this. That was my idea. And I'd even figured it out because, look, I book bands for a living. I could book me all day long because I only have one client at that point. It's me. I know pastors and Christian leaders in every nook and cranny of America. This is easy. I had it all planned out. And a few years ago, I started feeling a little bit of an unsettling. Maybe you felt it before. Uh, maybe you're feeling it now. Of maybe the change was coming. And, and during that time, I was having conversations with people. And as the time went on, it began to get more unsettled and even started feeling a little bit of turmoil. And I'm trying to get it all figured out. Is it now time? Is it time now, God, to go jump off and be this traveling speaker guy that's famous and, uh, and writes books? Is it now? But it didn't feel right because it wasn't right. In my heart, I felt this turmoil. And I couldn't get clarity on it. Keeping in mind, I'm, I'm a Bible study teacher guy. So I'm in the Word all the time. It's kind of like my hobby. Some people play sports. I, I read Leviticus. It's kind of embarrassing. But, um, but I love it. I mean, it's what God has done and created me to do. I'm in, I'm in with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've got this impression in my heart, this branding of ministry, but I, don't know, I couldn't get clarity on it. And I wish I could tell you that it's in one shining moment of lightning and some sort of angelic music, but it, it wasn't. I just started to realize that, you know what, I'm kind of messing this up because I've put some parameters around the Lord of what I'm willing to do for him and, more importantly, what I'm not. And I came to a point in prayer where I said, you know what, God? I'm yours. Whatever that is, just I'm in. And it wasn't in that moment that I got clarity. But all of a sudden, as the days and the weeks and the months went on from there, I began to get a peace. I began to hear from brothers and sisters around me. God was speaking to me and people like Jamie George, people like Jim Henderson, People began to say things like, man, you should be a pastor. I've been alive 38 years. Okay? No one has ever said that, not the least of which is me. You should really jump and do that. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I have a company. I have, you know, I have my plans. I want to be thoughtful and write and travel. But this drumbeat began to happen in my life of God's will, confirmation after confirmation. I began to see in the word that there really wasn't a traveling uh, career move that I could make. When I look at Acts, what I see is God using the church as his primary method of evangelism, of planting the gospel in a community in this band of believers that would come around and lock arms and impact the kingdom with little outposts of heaven on earth. I began to see that in the context of church that God was impacting the kingdom. And I began to think, and I didn't say it out loud at first because it was kind of scary, Am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to be a, the P word? And this weird thing has happened because the answer came back, yes. And this thing, literally, I want you to know that brain surgeon and pastor, those were the same level of me, which is to say not an option. Not that I didn't want to be a brain surgeon, but I just couldn't be. I'm not smart enough. And in the pastor thing, like, well, what? Seriously? I mean, I have, and now, like, I want to be. I'm genuinely excited about it, what God is unpacking and unfolding in, in our lives. And in the weeks to come, Jamie's going to explain more about that. But just on my own personal journey for me today, what I want you to know is that it works. God does want to talk to you. God does have a plan for you. God does have a purpose for you. 
whether it's the big stuff or the small stuff, the what am I going to do today, God? What do you want me to do today? The situation with your marriage, the situation in your family, the situation in your job. God wants to speak to you. He wants to give you clarity. But you've got you to tear up the rider and throw it away. Isaac climbed onto that altar willingly. And might I encourage you and I this morning, maybe we need to crawl back up on the altar. When Jesus said to pick up our cross, maybe it's time to, to crawl back up on the altar and say, I'm here, I'm, I'm yours, Lord. I'm submitting my will to you. I'm tying myself down. God won't force his will on you, understand that. Jesus got on the cross willingly. You and I, when we pick up our cross, Jesus didn't say, I'm forcing you to pick up your cross. He's not a slave owner. He is a loving Lord in our lives. So crawl back up onto the altar. And gang, it's great news for you. It's great news for me. Because whatever it is that he has for you, it isn't going to be a bummer. The minute when you're in that moment, you lie to yourself and the Lord, you're doing that on a daily basis and God is putting impressions and branding in your heart and, and you're interacting with the brothers and sisters around you and they're confirming that that is what God wants you to do. You're going to want to do it. And if you've got your journals out as we worship for a, a little while longer, I would encourage you, maybe as a good exercise this morning, to write down those things that you've said never to. And then mark them off. And I'm not saying God's going to make you do those things. He's not going to make you do anything. <clears throat> but it's a great opportunity and a great exercise at least to start with. Where have I, where are the, what parameters have I put on the Lord? As Leslie and the, the band is coming to lead us in worship... My hope is that we can get on our altar this morning willingly. And if you're not there yet, look, God knows if you're lying. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Maybe pray, God, take me there. Because what could happen if everybody in this room, every believer in the body of Christ would say, no more of my ideas and things that I have, these parameters I've put in place... But whatever it is you want me to do, God, imagine what could happen if you and I said, whatever it is, God, that you want from me, I'm in. If it's Haiti, if it's Africa, if it's Middle Tennessee, if it is loving your wife like Christ loved the church, if it's serving your neighbors, if it's God, in those moments of us saying, I just submit my will to you, is going to make things very clear to you what it is that he wants you to do. And as we're obedient to those things, man, the world can change. We've seen it right here in Journey. This is a great place where we see it all the time. People come here, you get healed a little bit, you get restored, and then you're gone. Planted churches in Buffalo, New York, and New York City. We got people like said in Nazareth today. We got people everywhere. Not because we're great. We're just saying, yeah, God. And if you're not careful, you might think this morning that, Darren, well, I, I couldn't do what you do. That's pretty noble. I wouldn't do that. You, if you're not careful, that's what you might think. But I want you to know that it's not noble. Romans 12 tells me that it's reasonable. It's reasonable. After what Christ did for me, 
I mean, are you kidding me? This isn't a sacrifice. After what he's prepared for me and you in eternity, for where we're going to be, the things that he's doing for us that are just mind-blowing, that I can't even get my mind wrapped around, that's no sacrifice. It's reasonable. It's just reasonable to say, yeah, God, you're smarter than me, you're bigger than me. I'm submitting my will to you this morning. So as we worship, I want to pray for you now. Obviously, this is open down here if you want to come and get by yourself with the Lord and pray here. Right in your seat. I, often the Lord speaks to me, I, I'm just, I just write it out. If I feel like an impression, I'm just writing it. And if you're looking for a starting place, for sure. Hey, what are those things that you've said you'd never do? What are those things that I said I would do? Cross them all off and leave a blank page for the Lord this morning. He's writing your story. You're a character in it. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness this morning. For putting rules and regulations in what we would and would not do. Lord, it was a... We just didn't trust you. We didn't trust that you had our best interest in mind. I didn't trust that you had my best interest in mind. And this morning in faith, God, we ask, shed some light on this situation in my life. Shed some light on the situations in this room with your word, with your voice. We come asking with expectancy this morning that you will speak to our hearts. It's in your son's name, the name that is above every name.